Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Do you want to learn how to find more work? The work that you really want? Want to improve your marketing? How about your brand? Want to work on that? You want to build a sales system or a profit plan? Or maybe you just want to work on building better habits. We've got you covered inside Entree Architect membership. The Entree Architect Expert Training Webinar Archive has dozens of 60-minute training videos ready for you to download and view at your convenience. And members receive an invitation to a new live webinar training every month. So monthly training, full access to all our business resources, and a private member forum full of entrepreneur architects powered by Slack. Come build a better business with hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects and me inside Entree Architect membership. Enroll now, free, for 30 days. Give it a try at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 251, and I'm speaking with architect Farah Ahmad about how to promote your passion to build a better world. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Revit Rocketship, 
Learn Revit the fast and easy way with a powerful online course developed by the guys over at F9 Productions. From first-time users to seasoned pros, Revit Rocketship will show you how. Farah Ahmad, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, Farah Ahmad is a sustainable professional in architecture based in New York City, not too far from me here. Uh, she is a graduate of the uh, Bernard and Ann Spitzer School of Architecture at the City College of New York, graduating with honors. She is inspired by her network of industry professionals who contribute their knowledge, concern, and passion for the environment towards a greener future for planet Earth. She has worked as a government pr professional in various city agencies throughout New York City with a specialized focus on renewable energy. And Farah believes that each of us, regardless of our background, has an opportunity to contribute towards this greater global cause. And there's a whole bunch more to that story, but I want Farah to start that story off. So Farah, if you could go back to where you discovered architecture, tell us your origin story. What inspired you to become an architect and share that story uh, of your journey to where you find yourself today? Sure. Well, my first influence actually was my father that derives from my family. He's a mechanical engineer and construction project manager, and he sort of planted the seed in my head. I think he always wanted an architect in the family, but uh, my brother is a civil engineer. My sister is an environmental engineer. So I kind of broke those bonds and, and decided to become an architect. But he used to take me to construction job sites as a child. So I'd go to his office. I'd go out to sites. Um, but when I was 12 years old, uh, we had a vacation home built in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And that was my first visual, uh, really my first visual remembrance of wanting to become an architect. Uh, we would go out on weekends to see the construction of the home in phases. So whether we see the empty lot, we see the foundation being poured in, the studs going up floor by floor. And I remember how much joy I felt in the construction of a house that would eventually become a home, a place of memories that I could bond to. And so that personal feeling, I wanted to replicate it for others in my career. But also going beyond that, we I had attended the Staten Island Technical High School and had taken courses in architecture engineering. So I sort of naturally gravitated towards that technical field. And while I was in high school, I was also part of the ACE Mentor Program. And uh, the ACE Mentor Program, which I would really recommend to any listeners that uh, know any high school students that are passionate about architecture, construction, or engineering, I'd recommend this program. It's basically, I was, you know, I was paired with an architect who would take us and a group of students out to construction sites, to firm tours, and we'd go and see what an architect actually did. And so having that educational background, having that family background, I sort of just gravitated towards this field. And so uh, once I applied for architecture, you know, I was offered a scholarship via the Macaulay Honors College at CCNY. And this idea of studying architecture in a city that's so full of resources and so rich in architectural history. I mean, I was just blown away and I, I knew I had to go for this field. And so I got into City College and uh, lived in Manhattan for a few years, was surrounded by diversity, exposed to people of all different backgrounds, and I was kind of a whirlwind. And during that five-year program, I had the opportunity to be a part of the U.S. Department of Energy Solar Decathlon. And our team, Team New York, in 2011, designed, built, and operated a 1,000-square-foot solar-powered home that was assembled in New York and transported to Washington, D.C. And that's when I knew I wanted to become a green architect. 
So t- tell me, tell me more about that energy, uh, the Department of Energy Solar Decathlon. I, I've heard about it. I sort of, you know, I, I read articles about it when it shows up. How did how did you get involved with that, and and what was the process of of building that in New York City, and then moving it to to to, to, to uh, DC? Right. So our team actually had to apply for the competition, and the Department of Energy ended up selecting twenty universities from around the world to compete in this. And so we spent two years on this project, uh, gaining sponsorships from industry professionals all over New York City, New York State. Um, And we had to basically design this. Uh, We built it completely with contractors in basically in New York City on our campus, on our rooftop to emulate this project concept. We had this idea of a roof pod, a structure that would be built upon a roof, would generate power and distribute some of it to the host building below. And so we assembled that excuse me, on our rooftop and we were had to disassemble this and transport it to DC and compete there for another couple of weeks in all these various competitions that would gauge how energy efficient our home was. And so we had thousands of visitors from the public come out to DC and visit our home as well as the other homes. And it was sort of this idea of renewable energy technologies and building systems and how you could have 20 different buildings that are all trying to achieve the same energy target have a you know each had a completely different aesthetic they each had a different approach and so that was what was so fascinating to me was it was it built module as a module i mean how did you get it off of the rooftop in new york city and down and then transport it correct so it actually was you hit it right on the nail so it was built in uh basically certain modules and we were supposed the concept is that you're supposed to crane some of these components down a New York City apartment building elevator and that's how you would transport it up and the rest would be craned off. So when we disassembled the project, we actually had to have a crane on site. And it was quite a sight at City College of New York campus to have a crane take this roof pod up in pieces and put it onto a, a truck and deliver it up. Yeah. And so how old were you when you did that? I was 21. Yeah, that must have been pretty exciting. And, and then you yeah. went, and then you went to DC. You it was shipped to DC. You went to DC, and how long were you in DC for the for the decathlon? So we were in DC for about a month or so. So we had uh, a week or so, a little over a week, to actually prepare the project for the competition itself, and then compete in various contests, including the energy efficiency aspect. And then so that sort of led to the rest of your career with, with energy efficiency and, and sustainable building. What happened after that decathlon that sort of led you to where you are now? Right. So during the decathlon, I was actually, I will say prior to the decathlon, I was always a very shy student. I kind of stuck within my comfort zone. But uh, on the solar decathlon team, I became the communications and public relations leader. And I was forced to give a lot of media interviews, present the project, and market the project's concept, explain the building systems. I was involved in a lot of the public speaking aspect of it. And so I remember this one particular day in D.C., it was press day, and I had to present the project to a lot of paparazzi that were on site. And uh, basically, that moment, I, I knew I wanted to be able to get involved in a career where I could sort of communicate the aspect of sustainability to a larger audience. Uh, but right after the, this decathlon, once I knew what my career path would be, I looked to city service. And so I started my career off with an internship at the New York City Department of Design and Construction. 
and I saw how much impact one project could have on an entire community. And so I wanted to continue that route uh, with public service. And so I continued on to the New York City School Construction Authority, where I gained some experience in energy code, specifically in implementing efficient lighting systems in public schools or all across New York City. I took that experience and was able to harness it into a career at the New York City Department of Buildings now, where I'm an energy code plan examiner. And I will say the last six and a half years or so of city government experience has been very personally rewarding. Um, it's been a lot of exposure to professionals from all over the industry and sort of this satisfaction that what I'm working on has a bit of advocacy melted in with the technical aspect. And that's what I've enjoyed about working for the city. So you chose city over private practice in order to have a, a larger impact. That was the idea? Yes. Yeah, I love that. I, I, Go ahead. I've really enjoyed working for the city just because there's so many networking opportunities and just there's a, there's such a large scope of work that I can get involved in. And so I know it's almost always the reverse. A lot of my classmates went straight into private practice and I sort of jumped right into the public sector. But I've enjoyed every minute of it so far, and I think I'd like to continue working for government just because I can dive into the communications and advocacy aspect as well as the architecture and engineering. Yeah. Well, you're very good at it, obviously, but <laughs> by our conversation here. The, um, the, the energy code, the New York City energy code, my wife and I, my wife is my architecture, and she's my partner in, in our architecture firm as well. She's an architect as well. And uh, mm -hmm. we spent a day in the city a couple weeks ago taking a full-day seminar on New York State energy codes and New York City energy codes. We don't work in New York City, uh, but we do work throughout New York State. And um, the New York City energy codes are, are extensive, um, way beyond, much more restrictive than, than the state codes. Well, sort of it has a – the, the city has sort of adopted – um, for those who don't know, the city has adopted the codes of a, of a higher restrictive zone in New York State. And so the city is a little bit more restrictive in terms of energy code than, than the other areas around the city. Um, so, Farah, you were, were, you you, were you involved in the development of the, the new codes and how the new codes are being released? So the development, well, first I will say that my views don't necessarily represent the views of the New York City Buildings Department. Mm -hmm. I was not personally involved in the uh, development of the codes, um, but uh, we currently do have, we have separate energy code advisory committees that are involved in this, and they're currently working actually right now on the, the 2019 New York City Energy Conservation Code. And yes, you can definitely expect uh, the stringency to increase. Uh, currently, actually, I'll speak to two local laws that have been uh, in recent news, but Local Law 31 of 2016, as well as Local Law 32 of 2018. And these are sort of code updates that industry professionals can look out for. Uh, local Law 31 of 2016 will require city projects, capital projects, to be lead version for a particular rating, as well as be 50% better than code or meet a certain energy use target. And so we're going to see this increased stringency coming up. And in Local Law 32 of 2018, uh, this is actually going to deal with the 2019 code cycle, which I've just mentioned, as well as the 2022 energy code revision cycle. And basically these energy codes are going to have to match the New York State or NYSERDA's model stretch energy code. Um, and so that will also have energy performance targets for large buildings. 
but you can look out for those two updates as far as the code goes. Yeah, and what I've what I've seen in the past is that the the Fed, you know the international codes sort of work their way into the national codes, and then the national codes work their way down into the local codes. And the cities, New York City and, and California, they sort of lead the way in in compliance. And so, yep. if, if you see New York City getting more strict, anybody who's not in New York City can expect that soon after New York City updates and 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 becomes more restrict, the 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 trend is for the rest of the 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 nation to follow those those more restrictive cities. Do you agree with that, Farah? I do agree because we have we face so many different applications. We deal with many sorts of challenges, and again, we you know the New York City Buildings Department, our energy code enforcement team is actually the largest in the nation, and I think that we are probably we may be the only, and I don't know for sure, but I maybe we may be the only. Um, enforcement team that is actually issuing violations for energy code infractions. Um, and ever since we've begun our enforcement process in 2013, we've actually increased the efficiency of the code by approximately 35%. And so I think that stringency is going to serve as an example for other cities in the country. And speaking to uh, the number of projects that we do review, it's approximately 2,000 new buildings each year. So it's a large volume. And I think that other cities and have a lot of lessons to learn from the work that we do. Yeah. We've seen it all. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAP, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. For years, when I needed information on manufacturers' products, I headed straight to Google. And then I sifted through the hundreds of results to find the one or two that might be the link to the product that I'm looking for. And more often than not, that link was not what I was seeking. It was outdated or didn't meet my requirements. So I went back to the search engine and started all over. This could take all afternoon to find the one or the two or the three products that I needed. Does that sound familiar? I'm sure it does. There is a better way. RCAT.com. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, and custom specifications using their exclusive tool, SpecWizard. And keep it all online in one place using their cloud-based project organization tool, Charette. So make RCAT a part of your efficient project workflow. Just type entrearchitect.com slash RCAT so they know that you came from us. Put that into your internet browser and add it to your favorites and then visit RCAT for every project. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. Our friends at FreshBooks have been supporting us here at the Entree Architect podcast for a long time now. They've been a platform sponsor for well over two years. So thank you, FreshBooks. So you've heard me talk about FreshBooks a lot here at the Entree Architect podcast. Every episode, in fact, for quite a long time now. But did you know how FreshBooks actually was created? How it came to life? Well, it happened when their founder, Mike, accidentally saved over an invoice. And he kind of snapped. He was using Microsoft Word to bill his clients. He had studied accounting at school, but found that every accounting software on the market was built for some other business, not for him. He was frustrated. He wanted something different. 
something better, something that was designed for him, a self-employed professional. So he built it. Today, millions of people use FreshBooks, and on average, FreshBooks customers save about 16 hours a month. 16 hours a month. What could you do with an extra 16 hours? Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. And the same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. So give FreshBooks a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. And then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. Revit Rocket Ship is a new online course developed by our friends Alex Gore and Lance Psycho over at F9 Productions. They're the guys from the Inside the Firm podcast. Their new online course will get you up and running with Revit fast and easy. It's completely different from anything else available online. You're going to learn how to model in Revit just like it gets built. And you won't even need to start from scratch. Alex provides you with a complete ready-to-go template to get started. It's the actual Revit template that his firm, F9 Productions, has developed over the past decade and uses today. He'll walk you through their proven method of developing a Revit model and end up with a completed set of construction drawings that you can use for your portfolio or reference when you develop your next project. Revit Rocketship is based on years of experience using the software and teaching Revit at the university level, so they know how to get you up and running fast and easy. I love that Alex and Lance are sharing their knowledge and I want you to check out Revit Rocketship. Register today for Revit Rocketship at entrearchitect.com slash Revit. That's entrearchitect.com slash R-E-V-I-T. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So from a personal point of view, I, I could see that you're passionate about energy and, and working for the city. Are, are there things that you're doing on, on the, your personal side is in terms of that type of work that you can sort of help continue to promote that, that the, um, you know, the energy codes and, and the work that you're, you're doing? Sure. So I actually have a, a personal website that I keep up. It's sort of a, a blog. And I, I mean, I'm very passionate about the sustainability movement, sort of a grassroots movement on the local level. I do a lot of uh, sort of, I call it eco travel, where I'll take out trips to go visit local environmental projects, or I'll take a look at, uh, I'll take a look at what cities are doing in order to combat climate change. And so at, three years ago, I was present at the, the Paris Agreement at the UN Nations headquarters, and I tried to document that as much as possible through photography and through writing to just sort of get the message out about how many people are actually drawn to this event and how much interest there is and how much importance there is, how much importance there is to this event. Um, and uh, just last year, I was in um, Georgetown, Texas, which is one of the first 100% renewable energy cities in the country. Um, and so... Recently, I was in Iceland to go visit the, the geothermal piping system. And so what I'd like to do is sort of bring attention to 
these projects that maybe people don't necessarily know a lot about, and I'll make it a point to document what I can and sort of just get the word out about that. Yeah, that's that's why I wanted to talk to you on the podcast because one of the things that I I'm passionate about are, is <laughs> architects taking the lead. That nobody had to give you permission to go do those those trips and to document those trips and to promote what they're doing at those trips. You just decided I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a way to go go to these places. I'm going to to gain access. I'm going to write about it and I'm going to promote it. And you're you're taking the lead in those things. And and that's I find that so inspirational. And I'm hoping that other people who are listening to us um, can can take some of the things that they're passionate about and not just do it within their own little community, but sort of build a movement, build a, you know, become a leader of, of a, of a, of a movement and promote it. Yes, I completely agree with that. Thank you. I think that I, I just, I would like to see technical professionals become household names. I, I think we live in a country that's very consumed by pop culture. And then there's just, there's so much going on in the world today that we need to just sort of open up our eyes to, and particularly with the, the political discussion on climate change and what's going on with the federal government. I think that, we sort of tend to live in our own bubble unless we witness something. I mean, here in Sandy, uh, New York City, when we had Superstorm Sandy hit us, we sort of we kind of woke up at that point. But until something affects us personally, we don't really go out and make that change. So I think it's important to have examples to reference to see that there are projects in our local backyard and maybe we could emulate some of these and, and try to do some good in the world. Yeah, if anybody wants to visit um, Farah's website, it's Farah Nanz Ahmed. So it's F-A-R-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-A-D.com. I'll have a link to that on the show notes. This is episode 251, so entree slash episode 251. We'll have a link um, to Farah's website, and you can go see. She's got a great blog, great photography. She's done a lot. She's really pushing. pushing um, she, she's finding a way to promote the things that she believes in. Um, and I really, really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by it and I'm, and I want to encourage others to do similar things. So go check out the website and, uh, and learn from what fire is doing. What, what are, uh, some of the, some, how are you getting the word out? So you go to these events, you, you, uh, first of all, how do you gain access to these events? Do you just sort of show up or is there, is it easy to do that? Or is it some way that you sort of have to build a network to have the right people to get you in? So I attend a lot of, or I try to attend a lot of industry conferences. Uh, back when I was in the decathlon, I had started writing professionally. And so I had developed a network of sort of this very small community of green journalists. And so I stay in touch with them and we sort of have this network of, of events and industry happenings. And, and so I'll attend events where I know, uh, where I have some contacts. Um, I've, through these conferences, I've sort of networked with sustainability professionals across the country. And so uh, when I was in San Antonio, Texas, we went and visited the, the waste department there from our friend I had met at an energy conference years back. Um, and so we got to see how city government works there. Um, so it's a lot of networking, but it's also a lot of online research. There are a lot of uh, eco-travel blogs that have been out there now. And so anyone can just go online, take a look at what renewable energy projects are out there and um, for instance, solar farms are popping up all over the country, and now if you go out west, you can receive tours of these. So it's sort of a mix, networking and sort of doing my own research. So once once you're once you're there and you gain gain access to it, 
Um, how are you? So you're you're writing about it and you're putting it on your blog. You're you're also getting a lot of that work published. How are you doing that? Yes. Yeah, so again, with some of these green industry contexts that I've developed, a lot of journalists sometimes still promote those events. I also am very big on social media. So Twitter and Instagram have become, as well as LinkedIn, have become really good resources. And it's really good to latch on to hashtags that are, are trending. Um, and from that way, I'll be able to, I'm able to develop contacts. But again, it's sort of linking posts. It's being very savvy with social media. Um, it's how you post the content. It's the content you post. And then connecting with individuals who also have that similar interest. And maybe they can go ahead and share it with their networks as well. So, so when you're saying you're working the hashtags, how do you do that? What do you do with the hashtags? You use uh, very specific hashtags for events. So, for instance, um, GreenBuild. Uh, if you use the hashtag GreenBuild18 uh, this previous year, uh, there was a lot of conversation going on from attendees. And so I kind of hooked onto that and was able to connect with other attendees and found other professionals that are also interested in this industry. And we were all able to have a dialogue online. And again, this is just from Twitter. Um, Twitter is a very powerful tool. I highly recommend anyone that's going to any industry event to, to create one if you don't have one already and make connections before the, the conference. And that way you can meet professionals that are, are like-minded as well. You'll have new connections. So I found that, that are very, to be a very powerful tool. And LinkedIn has become increasingly popular in the last few years. Um, even one post can generate hundreds or thousands of views. Um, so generating a blog and then sharing it on those social media platforms has a very big impact. Farah, would you say that the the platform that you've built now, because you're sort of you're sort of promoting your passion, you're building a platform around the passion that you have. Do you feel that it's something that's just evolved, or do you sort did you see what you wanted to do uh, and sort of intentionally built it? Did you did you plan it and then you're executing it, or did you f- sort of just evolve and and end up where you are now? Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's actually evolved over the last few years. Um, I started off in the decathlon taking on this communications role, uh, posting a lot about their rooftop, about renewable energy technologies, and it sort of picked up. And I was also at the time very interested in social media, and I had developed a social media account for that solar rooftop project. That sort of evolved into my own personal interest in the industry. And uh, I just started writing more and more. I was blogging. I was being asked to write from various magazines through that competition itself. Um, And then after that, I was approached by different media to continue writing just because they had discovered my work online or where someone had referenced my name from something they had found online. And so it sort of picked up and I've kept on that hobby. So it's really more of something that I do part-time as a personal interest, but it has become sort of a professional medium and a platform for me to carry my message on. Right. So, so what's, what's the future you're, you're working at the city now you have this passion for for um, uh, energy and uh, eco architecture. You're doing some traveling. You're promoting it on the blog. What do you imagine that the next step is? What's your future look like? Well, in the coming years, I'd really like to increase my skills in energy engineering and renewable energy. I've attended various solar installation trainings in the past, and that's something that I would like to improve upon. I'd like to get more hands-on training just so I could better inform my audience that I'm writing to about that sort of technology before I tell others about it as well. 
Um, I'm very passionate about mentoring younger students to get into the field of architecture. And um, my employee union actually has a, a climate justice committee, which I'm very excited to get involved in. Um, but I'd also like to add author to my name. Um, I you know, don't want to publish just for the sake of having a book. I'd like to publish to educate. And once I, once I find a specific topic that I'd like to hone in on and can become an expert upon, I, an expert upon, I'd like to really educate others on that particular subject. And so I also want to design a very super efficient home and maybe one day I can merge both goals and design that home and then write about it, you know, detail the process, the siting and the orientation, the material and building system selection, the occupancy behavior to reduce energy consumption, sort of combined with passion. Does your father and your family still have the house in Lancaster? Yes, we do. Have you, have you done any energy work to that house? Not yet, but that's actually a, that would be a goal of mine. And the first thing I'd like to do is get some solar panels up on it. But we're not at the home very often. Yeah. But once the, the home is, is used enough, that could be a possible uh, possible venture. Yeah. Yeah. If you do, let us know because I'd love to uh, follow along while you do it. Sure. Before we wrap up, Farah, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody on the podcast. Um, and I didn't prep you for this, so it's just sort of coming coming out of the blue here. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So it's intended to be something that somebody can do in the relatively short term, but can uh, see some you know, pretty quick results. Sure. I would say that any professional out there should continue to forge and, and develop their relationships. Stay connected, stay in touch with those who inspire you, especially with mentors who may be challenges you can learn from. I also think it's really good to get out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself. You know, as architects, we not need to be only technically adept, but it's our communication skills are key. And so maybe you can volunteer to educate your colleagues and improve your public speaking skills by giving a presentation. Maybe you can blog about your expertise and therefore improve your writing skills. Um, and one more thing I'd say is just, to find what it is you're good at, find that one niche and become an expert in it and become an invaluable member of your team. Um, personally, I try to keep up to date with solar industry news, for example, and just so when, when someone comes up to me and asks me what's, what's the newest trend, I could become that go-to person. I think everyone should strive to become sort of that one go-to person for a particular interest and try to become as good as you can be at it. On the web, it's Farah Naz Ahmad. So it's F-A-R-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-A-D.com. Go check her out on the web. On LinkedIn, it's Farah Lead AP. And Twitter, it's Farah underscore Arch. And on Instagram, go check out Instagram, Renewable Farah. Instagram, she's doing a lot of work there. So Farah Ahmad, this was a great uh, conversation. I really I'm inspired by you, and I wanted to get your message out to the rest of our community because I, I'm impressed with what, you, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're planning to do. So thank you for coming here and joining me today and for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And if anyone wants to connect and has any information on how to get into this industry or would like resources, please feel free to reach out. This is episode 251, so that's the link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 251. That's the link to share with friends. 
So please go do that. That's how we grow here. And uh, go check out Entree Architect Membership, a new masterclass expert training webinar every month, access to the entire archive of all our training sessions. There's now close to 40 of them covering topics for architects in business and leadership and life. Access to all our business resources, including hybrid proposal and foundations documents. That's more than 50 business forms and templates and checklists and all of that, all inside the membership. Access to all our digital courses, including Get Focused, our productivity course, and an invitation to join our private Entree Architect member forum powered by Slack. Training, resources, and a private community exclusively for us, small firm architects. That is Entree Architect membership. Join hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects. That's you, an entrepreneur architect, and me at Entree Architect membership. Gain full instant access today free for 30 days at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles, and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.